on the record on news talk this is news talks on the record with me kieran cuddy and time now for more hidden histories i'm tired of living and scared of dying but Voice. Oh, what a voice. If we could play that on the radio every Sunday, we'd be a much happier nation. <laughs> Wouldn't we? <laughs> that is Paul Robeson. He lived an incredible life, one of the most beloved actors and singers of his day. He had this connection with Ireland, though. A number of visits to Ireland he made right throughout the 30s, uh, where his talents were, were very warmly welcomed, if not exactly his views. Uh, Donald <laughs> Fallon uh, from uh, the Come Here To Me blog, Book Volume 2, out now is with me in studio. Donald, how are you? Good to be here. Good to be here. Um, Paul Robeson, like he was, I mentioned he had this incredibly life. He was incredibly huge. He was literally huge. Wasn't yeah, he? he was. He was a giant of a man. You know, and I don't know what what took me so long to get around to Paul Robeson in this slot because, I mean, while he's a difficult character, he, he's still one of my heroes in, in in history, and he was this hugely popular, hugely popular figure as a singer, as an actor of stage and screen, and as we say, literally, literally a giant of a man, uh, and commemorated in some interesting ways. Beautiful Manic Street Preacher song, Let Robeson Sing. And, you know, forget the Mannix. He left behind enough records of his own. This man was beyond prolific. I think maybe only Elvis Presley and in an Irish context, Count John McCormack could match Paul Robeson in terms of his creative output. But he's a difficult character because while he was, and we just heard him sing, oh man, River, my yeah. God, the hairs in the back of your neck stand up. Politically, he was a very keen supporter uh, of the Soviet Union and he was quoted in the Daily Worker in 1935. He said, I feel more kinship to the Russian people under their new society than I ever felt anywhere else. And those weren't really the kind of words that endeared him to many people uh, in, in America. He actually had his, his son educated in Moscow in the belief that he could avoid, quote, the discrimination he would face growing up in the United States. So Robeson is a great talent, but he's a great he's a great controversial figure as a political thinker. Uh, tell me more about him himself. Where was he from? He his origins. From, I mean, he's a very unusual thing in early 20th, uh, early 20th century America in that he's a middle class black person, you know, because in the days of segregation, yeah. there's not a whole lot of them. Uh, and he's from Princeton, New Jersey. He's got this great upbringing. You know, he's the, the third ever African-American student in the very prestigious Rutgers College, went on to Columbia Law School, played American football. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen Paul Robeson, just do a quick Google image search of the man and imagine him running at you on an American football <laughs> field because he was a tank of a man and he played American football brilliantly but he found his calling on the stage as a great actor as a singer and I think what really did it for him what what dragged him along was the Harlem Renaissance which was this artistic, intellectual kind of social explosion that created this new black culture and this black identity. Jazz music, poetry, literature, politics, fashion, you know, in every way you can imagine it, black America was reborn in the 1920s and Robeson was shaped by that. Uh, And when black America then was finding this voice some of them uh, you, we mentioned Robeson's trips here but not just Robeson they, they looked towards Ireland it's kind of amazing because Irish America and black America was historically a kind of difficult relationship you know, there was always tensions between black workers and Irish workers but the black kind of cultural renaissance the Harlem renaissance is influenced in a very real way by what had happened in Ireland you know, the cultural revival William Butler Yeats the Abbey Theatre all of that and the leading figures of black America in the 1920s they talk an awful lot about Ireland so you've got this guy Marcus Garvey who's a formative influence on, on Malcolm X later on, he went as far as to say, the time has come for the Negro race to offer up its martyrs on the altar of liberty as the Irish have given us a long list from Robert Emmett to Roger Casement. He even had a headquarters in Harlem, uh, Marcus Garvey, and he renamed it in the 1920s Liberty Hall. 
you know, in honour of Liberty Hall in Dublin, James Connolly, Jim Larkin. So, so black America in its own way was influenced by what we had done. We were a people who almost lost our language, who lost our arts, who, who lost our creative expression. And as far as people like Marcus Garvey saw it, we got that all back. So I think black America saw some lessons in the Irish experience. I think Sinead O'Connor sing a song about, Mar- had a song about Marcus Garvey uh, yeah, he's an amazing a, a few character. years he's ago a, he's as well. He's a phenomenally interesting character. He was the pan-African leader. You know, he regarded himself as the unelected president of Africa. And back to Robeson, you mentioned his time on stage when he was in college. It was his time on stage in London that... What did it for him did was it, this yeah. amazing performance in 1928 in the, the London production of Showboat. And we just heard it. He sang Old Man River. And he literally, I mean, you read, you read the reviews, he moved everyone in the place night after night to tears. It was so good that he performed at Buckingham Palace. And for the Theatre Royal in Drury Lane in, in London, it is still the most profitable, profitable play that they have ever put on in wow. the history of the theatre. I mean, it was joked that basically every person in London saw the thing twice. And the 1920s and 30s brought massive international renown for him as a performer because the cinema was breaking through. The talkies had arrived. And with a voice like Paul Robson, you weren't going to keep that man off the cinema screen. But he did encounter a lot of difficulty. I mean, one biographer, Scott Ehrlich, he talks about how on one occasion he was invited to a party in this plush London hotel and he arrives at the doors and he's told, sorry, you can't come into the building because you're black. You know, This is someone that's bringing London audiences to tears night after night and he's told he can't walk into a, a fashionable London hotel. So, I mean, being black in, in Britain and indeed in America was difficult in the 20s and 30s. Uh, and I suppose later generations talk about the 60s uh, and the protest movement and this kind of formative era for a generation. The 30s as well was his absolutely, political yeah, awakening. Absolutely, and for him it came... Uh, with the Spanish Civil War. That for him was the great moment. Uh, you know, and I think the when the Spanish Republic comes under attack from Hitler, Mussolini, Franco, you know, the axis of evil, people like Robeson are just greatly moved by what they see. And he goes to Spain during the Spanish Civil War. He sings to the Republican soldiers uh, and he's absolutely horrified by what he sees. But he was also horrified at his management because it's hard enough to market a black singer and actor in the 1930s. It's even harder to market a black singer and actor who's travelling over to Spain and singing for communists on the front lines. <laughs> you know, so he's really, by the, by the, by the mid-1930s, he is regarded very much as a great talent, yes, but a controversial communist as well. And in Ireland, people's view of the Spanish Civil War was that Franco was a great defender of the faith. Yes. That basically the left were waging war on Catholicism and that it was our duty to support Franco as this great saviour of Catholicism. So someone like Robeson coming to Ireland in the 1930s is a little bit difficult. So tell us about those these appearances here the, then. The reviews are, are met. I mean, the first time he comes, 1930, he's not really regarded as a political figure yet. Uh, and the reviews are, are, are quite bad. I mean, the Sunday Independent say not everyone was impressed by what Robeson offered. I do not suggest these Negro songs are in any sense in intellectual, they are in fact doggerel. Many of them are vulgar and the tune's as trite as most of the music we get from America ends to be. Not exactly a glow. I don't know if that's anti-black or (laughs) anti-American or what is it? Maybe an unhealthy combination of both. (laughs) Uh, So in 1930 he's viewed with, with, uh, with, with some kind of bewilderment. But he's already a bit of a celebrity. You know, the Irish Times say he's known far and wide for excellent gramophone records and he plays in the Theatre Royal, which is the classic venue in Dublin a sellout crowd see him there but then that, that's his first visits as you said I suppose he's not known politically by the time he comes again he is known he's, uh, been, a, he's been to Spain by the, yeah by the time he arrives in Ireland again in the mid 1930s he's this absolutely massive figure he's staying in the Shelburne Hotel that's a barometer you know if you've made it uh, mm-hmm. as a visiting performer in Dublin if you're in the Shelburne you've done alright he plays in the Capitol Theatre uh, and Lawrence Brown his accompanist is with him he has a beautiful memoir he talks about ropes and uh, in Dublin he says something happened which made me see Paul in a new light and realised that he had a power beyond that of an ordinary singer 
After our concert, several young Negro medical students, five of them who are studying in Dublin, came to see Paul. I've never forgotten the expression on the faces of these young Negroes as they looked at him. How shall I describe it? They worshipped him. Although they came from so many different places, they all looked at him as if he were a man they could trust and who, in a sense, they regarded as Moses. So probably the, the only, you know, the five black students of Dublin all showed up to get a look at this man they regarded as a hero. And I guess if you're kind of rubbing shoulders with uh, movers and shakers in Ireland in the 30s, you're going to rub shoulders with people, GPO. Yeah, he knew amazing people, Robeson. He knew uh, Arthur Shields, who was a, a, an Abbey Theatre actor, later a Hollywood actor. Amazing guy. Uh, during the Rising, Arthur Shields had to stop off at the Abbey Theatre because his rifle was hidden underneath the floorboards of the stage. And then he, went, he later acted in a Hollywood film called How Green Was My Valley. Uh, and everyone hates that film, undeservedly so, <laughs> because it bets Citizen Kane uh, for Best Oscar one year. And I believe Citizen Kane may be the finest film of all time. How Green Was My Valley is pretty good too. Arthur Shields is in it uh, and, and, uh, and, and Robeson knew Arthur Shields. John Loder How Green Is My Valley. Ordinary People beat The Godfather. Wasn't yeah. it Ordinary People? Yeah. It well, was the Ordinary Kane. People of the 1930s. There you are. Uh, John Loder, who was a, another great actor who'd been a, a British soldier in the streets of Dublin in 1916. Robeson knew, knew him as well and starred beside him in a film. So he had some sense of Ireland. You know, he'd moved among Irish people. But the stuff that he says in Ireland displays, I think, a lack of knowledge of what Ireland is like and how Ireland thinks. Like the Irish press newspaper, basically the Fianna Fáil newspaper, they sit him down and interview him and he says, though born in Princeton, New Jersey, I'm glad to be an American citizen. I'm prouder and more interested in my African ancestry. Then he praises Soviet Russia and he says, there's absolutely no colour prejudice in Russia. It's not in their mentality. I've never felt as free as when I walked the streets of Moscow. Now, a line like that in Dublin in 1935 or 36 doesn't go down particularly well, as you can imagine. Uh, he did express sympathy with Ireland's history that obviously he became aware of through this 1916 connection or the connection with people yeah, from he, 1916. He said that the only people ever persecuted in their own country were the Irish, which is a bit of an exaggeration. And he claimed that he would attempt to learn to speak the Irish language. But one of the great little stories of his life uh, is that he eventually learned the ballot, Kevin Barry. Uh, and he learned it from Padre O'Donnell, who was this amazing Donegal-born Republican who spent a lot of the 1930s involved in radical politics in Dublin, but who was in America on one occasion uh, and who met... Robeson in the most bizarre of circumstances and his biographer tells it very well Donald O'Driscoll he says Padder was stranded at a roadside with a burst tyre when a limousine stopped and offered help he was invited to sit in the car by the passenger while the driver fixed the puncture the passenger turned out to be Paul Robeson who told Padder <laughs> that he'd like to record an Irish song Padder suggested Kevin Barry the ballad glorifying the young IRA man hanged in 1920 which he said conveyed the spirit of Ireland he proceeded to teach the song to Robeson who released it on record in the early 1950s Let's take a listen. In Mount Joy one Monday morning, high upon the gallows tree, Kevin Barry gave his young life for the cause of liberty. But alas, of eighteen summers, yet no one can deny, as he walked to death that morning, proudly held his head on high, calmly standing at attention. While he bade his last farewell 
to his broken-hearted mother, whose grief no one can tell, for the cause he proudly cherished, this sad parting had to be. Then to death walked softly smiling that old island might be free. Oh, wow. Great. It's unique, isn't great. it? There's been a couple of great renditions of that. Uh, Leonard Cohen famously sang that yeah. song in the National Stadium uh, in Dublin. But there's something about ropes and, and the way he learned it, you know, on the side of the road from Padre O'Donnell. It's just beautiful. And he lived to a fairly ripe old he age. He did. He lived in 1976. But uh, unfortunately, I think in the, the latter decades of his life, you know, it was a difficult end. He was dragged in front of the House of Un-American Activities. You know, it sounds like something out of a George Orwell book, doesn't it? The House yes. of Un-American Activities. Uh, a victim of the kind of McCarthyism, the scourge of McCarthyism, the Trumpism of its day, you know. And when he was dragged before them, he said, you are the non-patriots. You are the un-Americans. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. You know, the ability to dissent and to say you don't like how things are in your country. I think that's one of the great things about America. Uh, and Robeson stood up for that. All right. My thanks to Donald Fallon. As always, our Hidden History segments are up on the podcast on the Newstalk website if anyone wants to uh, access them. They're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Donald, author of the Come Here To Me blog, book volume two out in the shops. Now, that is it for me today. Off the ball is up next year in Newstalk. My thanks to the production team, Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan. Jojo Cardozo was on sound. And to play us out, we mentioned them earlier, the Manic Street Preachers, their own tribute to Paul Robeson, Let Robeson Sing, which actually features the voice of the man himself. So enjoy this and enjoy your Sunday. On the record. On News Talk 